Holy Gospel, according to St. Luke from the 12th chapter, glory to you, O Lord. Our Gospel this morning does indeed come from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, and can be found on page 1617 in your pew Bible. Luke records, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and, and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but it is not rich toward God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The entry in Luther's small catechism reads as follows, You shall have no other gods. And in the small catechism, as you know, there are questions with answers. So, you shall have no other gods, and then it says, what does this mean? And the answer is that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. One more time, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. You know, when we think of idolatry, we often think of worshiping statues or totem poles, uh, magic talismans, that kind of thing. And the Bible has lots of examples of people who worship these, these things, these sorts of things. And the Bible condemns them all. And these are examples of something called coarse ide idolatry, idolatry, coarse idolatry. That is the worship of creatures or inanimate objects such as golden calves, Statues of Baal, and so forth. 
Now, most people in our modern culture in the West here, most people, even unbelievers, would say that coarse idolatry is, is dumb, it's foolish, it's, it's irrational. The kind of idolatry that is more likely to attack you and to attack me is called refined idolatry, refined idolatry. And that is the worship of money. That is the worship of popularity or power or fame or security. There's many. For instance, when we put our job or our family or our recreation above God, we are committing refined idolatry. When we allow the TV to come between us and our Bible reading time, we are committing refined idolatry. When we forsake prayer and worship to pursue some other activity, no matter how worthwhile it may be, we are committing refined idolatry. We may not be bringing out the bulls to sacrifice to a false god, but we are making the same deadly mistake. That is, we are worshiping idols. And at its core, refined idolatry worships creation instead of the creator. It takes the good gifts that God gives us and it makes them into idols in his place, in place of him. Refined idolatry is most powerful when it convinces us refined idolatry is most powerful when it convinces us that this world is all that there is. Right here, right now, this is it, baby. And since this world is all there is, it forces us to place our trust in things of this world and get the most out of it while you can. Enjoy it while you can. These are the kind of mottos that we get. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You only go around once in this life, so grab with all the gusto that you've got. And you've heard this one. It's kind of depressing. It's depressing. This motto, whoever dies with the most toys, yeah, no, whoever dies with the most toys still dies. Refined idolatry is tricky. Most of the time, people who commit refined idolatry don't think that they are committing any kind of idolatry at all. In fact, they might be a little offended about what I'm saying. I know I'm offending myself right now as I'm, you know, saying this to you because I'm, it's, it's, I'm pointing at me. Most people who worship popularity and fame would never say they worship these things despite that claim. What else can it be when these things are more important than receiving God's gifts in the Word or in the sacrament? 
We don't realize that we are even committing refined idolatry. We often forget that whatever has the top priority in our lives is, in fact, our little G, God. As Martin Luther said, it is the trust and faith of the heart alone that make both God and an idol. So if your faith and if your trust are right, then your God is the true one. Now conversely, where your trust is false and wrong, there you do not have the true God. For these two belong together, faith and God. Anything on which your heart relies and depends, I say, that is really your God. The prayer of the day, for this day, you heard, invites us to set aside refined adultery and fix our minds on the things of heaven instead. The hymn of the day that will come after this sermon begins with the words, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word." And every stanza points to him and to him alone as our all in all, the one who provides for our every need. Further, in our sequence, in, in the acclamation that you sing with me prior to the reading of the gospel, it recalls the words of Peter from John 6, verse 68. It's where you sing with me. You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. The words of eternal life. The Old Testament lesson that uh, Ken read tells us of the emptiness of refined idols and refined idolatry. It says, all is vanity and striving after the wind. The epistle tells us to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And finally, the gospel relates the story of the rich fool who placed his confidence in the bumper crop that he was going to store in his barns instead of in the God who gave him those crops. Perhaps the most common form of refined idolatry is the worship of money. And Jesus often taught about wealth and the destruction that it can bring when it is mishandled. In Matthew 6, it's recorded, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many things. The parable of the rich fool is 
most severe. It's most severe because not only does the poor fellow never get to enjoy his earthly wealth, but he endured eternal punishment as well because we know that from God's words to him where he said, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Okay, so listen to this part. The problem is not that the man was rich, that he was wealthy. That is not the problem. But the problem was that the man was a rich fool. Jesus had many disciples who were wealthy. The Magi from the east who came to worship Jesus as a toddler had the means to offer Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Joseph of Arimathea, he loaned his tomb to Jesus, and he had the means to construct a tomb, but not just any tomb, any place. He had some prime real estate just outside the city in Jerusalem. And we had Lydia, who was one of the early disciples in Philippi, and Mary, the mother of Mark, Mark of the Gospel. He was the writer where these were wealthy patrons of the church. Wealth is not the problem. Wealth is not the problem. The problem is letting wealth become a substitute for God. It is making wealth the source of our security and comfort. It is forgetting that wealth, like everything else, is a gift from God. And not a little g God in its own right. So the sin is not in the money. One more time. The sin is not in the money, but in the attitude towards the money. And Jesus speaks this parable to all of us, even if we are not wealthy. Even if we're not wealthy, he's talking to you and me. Jesus said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. Jesus warns us, whether we are on welfare or middle income or upper class, that the love of money can destroy our souls. This means that the rich and the poor alike can be fools about money. It means that the rich can be slaves to the money and other things they have. It means that the poor can be slaves to the money and other things that they want. People in all classes can see money and things as the salvation from their problems. I understand that the something lotto Powerball was almost a billion dollars this last week. Anyone hear about that? Did anyone win? Oh. Yeah. See me after. <laughs> Somebody did win. Okay. Well, we should pray for them. Our Old Testament reading for today comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. And most of Ecclesiastes is dedicated to describing the emptiness of life under the sun. That is that a life that is lived as if the earth 
was all that there was. And in this book, Solomon carefully documents his experiments with every lifestyle possible. He tried wine, he tried women, and he tried song. He tried hard work, he tried hard play, he tried travel, he tried education. If you can think of a lifestyle, he tried it. And in the end, he concluded that if this life is all that there is, then everything is vanity and everything is striving after the wind. And without God, without God, truly, he concludes, there is no meaning to life. With God, there is meaning, though. With God, there is worth. With God, there is salvation. But the treasure of heaven is not like the treasure of this earth. God revealed himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus has his own economy. And although he is creator and the owner of all things, he lived among us as a poor person. And although he has all authority in heaven and earth, he lived under the authority of the law. And although he has all power, he made himself helpless. And he submitted to the punishment that we deserved as he suffered and as he died on the cross. And although Forgiveness, life, and salvation are worth more than we could ever pay. Jesus offers them to us as a free gift. And although Jesus deserves our unending service, it is his desire to serve us. It is Jesus who makes us rich toward God. Jesus closed the sad parable in today's gospel with these words. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here, first of all, is condemnation. If we spend our lives getting ahead so that God and religion become a nuisance, and the end is eternal damnation. But the reverse of these words is also true, and it gives us the sweet hope. That is that when the Holy Spirit plants the gift of faith in us, we see that the treasures of this earth are nothing, and that God, God is the true treasure. And we know that we will inherit everything that God has to offer. We will hear the blessed words of Jesus as recorded in Matthew 25, verse 34. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of of the world. Our dear friend D is experiencing 
that richness and that treasure right now. And someday, you will too. In the name of Jesus, amen.